Hello, humans. Hello, 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 humans of Minnesota, of the world. Welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. It's Ellie Krug, your esteemed host. I say that um, jokingly. I don't know how esteemed I am, but how are you all? I hope you had a good weekend. I hope that the week the week is starting well for you at this very early hour on a Monday. We have a great show. Uh, the big interview is with Elizabeth, Elizabeth Brenner of the organization Protect Students Abroad. She's an idealist working to write laws uh, to protect students who travel abroad. And her idealism, unfortunately, is in part born out of personal tragedy. So we have that interview coming up. In the C Block, I'm going to talk a little bit, uh, revisit what it's like to be LGBTQ in America today. After all, it is Pride Month, so there you go. But to start us off, I want to talk about an idealist who, as I tape this, literally, um, because I am taping this on a Friday um, shortly afternoon, so it might be the lunch break, but an idealist who is facing criminal prosecution. He is on trial for his safe for his uh, liberty, um, on trial for his idealism. I'm talking about 36-year-old man named Scott Warren. He's on trial in federal court in Tucson, Arizona, and he's charged with smuggling undocumented humans. He's part of an idealist-based organization named No More Deaths, which is dedicated to providing humanitarian aid to undocumented humans who cross the border and navigate the Arizona desert. And they do that often in temperatures that exceed 100 degrees. In the summer now, it's 120 degrees during the day. And since 2000, so in the last 19 years, more than 3,000 undocumented humans have died in the Arizona desert. So No More Deaths is a group of people who go out and they leave water and food and medical supplies for those in the desert And in doing that, they save lives, of course. And on on other occasions, they go out and they collect the remains of those who don't make it. In In the case of Scott Warren, he's a teacher who has a PhD in human migration. I mean, this man is his, this is this man's life. He moved to Ajo, um, so it's A-J-O, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Ajo, Arizona, for the purpose of teaching on the local American Indian Reservation and then to work with No More Deaths, the organization that I've just spoke about. In January of 2018, two undocumented humans arrived at a place called The Barn near Ejo. Um, the Barn is a it's a building. If you go online you, and if you Google The Barn, No More Deaths, you'll see a picture of it. It's not a very fancy-looking place, but it's a place where – um, no More Deaths uh, um, does some of its work and it's a place where undocumented um, humans sometimes come. And in January of 2018, Scott Warren um, encountered two undocumented humans who arrived at the barn. And while they were there, he um, helped give them food and water. He made them a meal. Both of these um, were men and both were de- dehydrated. They had blisters on their feet and they had some other health conditions. These two men, the undocumented uh, migrants, uh, recuperated at the barn for three days. During that time, Scott Warren uh, went about his routine. I mean, some of it was cooking a meal for the men, but other things took him away. I mean, he didn't. Ha- I mean, the barn was not his home. He had a home in town. He went and taught at the local reservation. He spent the nights at his home, and during the three days that these two um, migrant humans were at the barn, okay? There were other No More Death volunteers who came and interacted with the men. However, the Border Patrol um, had had the barn under surveillance. And, um, and in early January, they moved in and they arrested Scott Warren and the two um, undocumented uh, migrant humans. Now, the backstory on this is that Shortly, I mean like within hours before this happened, No More Deaths had released a video uh, showing uh, Border Patrol agents actually destroying jugs of water out in the desert, um, destroying uh, this resource which would be life-saving um, for 
uh, people who might encounter, you know, come across it who were trying to migrate into the U.S. Uh, so that video gets released, and, and mere hours later, Scott Warren is arrested. Um, the trial is now going on as I as I tape this. So this show is being taped as I speak about this. The tra- it's a jury case. Scott uh, Warren is charged with human smuggling under federal law. I mean, he faces twenty years in prison. Um, Scott Warren claims that his intent was to provide humanitarian relief consistent with his religious beliefs. And as it turns out, No More Deaths is affiliated with the Unitarian Universalist Church. The uh, No More Deaths cites the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, um, which is a law that was enacted in back in 1993. And uh, the sponsors for the law were um, Chuck Schumer in the House and Ted Kennedy in the Senate. Um, and that Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which is being cited in the case by Scott Warren as a basis for why on a religious basis he's trying to provide humanitarian aid, that same law you may be familiar with formed the foundation of the Hobby Lobby case um, with Hobby Lobby saying that they had the right to um, discriminate against women under the Affordable Care Act because their religious beliefs against um, against uh, birth control. So um, – but apparently the government does not like the uh, Religious um, Freedom Restoration Act being used um, by religious workers seeking to protect humans in the U.S. Um, without documentation. And recently, uh, part of this got on my radar because Scott Warren wrote an editorial that got picked up by the New York Times. And I'm going to read you from that editorial that showed up by Scott Warren um, that showed up on May 29th um, and also has a tagline of Amnesty International. I mean this case has attracted a lot of big attention and I'm sure you're familiar with it somehow in the background. But let me read something. Uh, it's gonna, you're going to have to bear with me here for a second. Um, something uh, that Scott Warren wrote in this editorial. And so here we go. Quote, my case in particular may set a dangerous precedent. As the government expands its definitions of transportation and harboring, the smuggling and harboring laws have always been applied selectively, with aggressive prosecutions of, quote, criminal networks, but leniency for big agriculture and other politically powerful industries that employ scores of undocumented laborers. New paragraph. Now, the law may be applied to not only humanitarian aid workers, but also to the millions of mixed-status families in the United States. Take, for instance, a family in which one member is undocumented and another member who is a citizen is buying the groceries and paying the rent. Would the government call that harboring? If this family were driving to a picnic in the park, would the government call that illegal transportation? Though this possibility would have seemed far-fetched a few years ago, it has become frighteningly real. New paragraph. The Trump administration's policies, warehousing asylees, separating family, caging children, seek to impose hardship and cruelty. For this strategy to work, it must also stamp out kindness. New paragraph. To me... The question that emerges from all of this is not whether the prosecution will have a chilling effect on my community and its sense of compassion. The question is whether the government will take seriously its humanitarian obligation to the migrants and refugees who arrive at the border. As I tape this show right now, I am within a couple of hours of hearing um, that the Trump administration has decided to impose a 5% tariff on Mexico as a way of attempting to get Mexico to stop people from crossing the border. That 5% is supposed to increase monthly until October of this year when it will be 25%. Remember, the show is about unifying, not dividing. That's all I really want to say about the administration. But Scott Warren... He's a 36-year-old idealist walking the walk in a way that very few idealists ever do. And he's paying the price 
for that walk. Think about that. Think about him. And read up about No More Deaths. They have a wonderful website. And think about supporting them in one way or another. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio, about idealism, about people trying to change the world, about what it takes to make a difference. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Elizabeth Brenner, another idealist. At Better Futures Minnesota, we transform the lives of men and support Minnesota's environment by working towards zero waste. Our approach reaffirms each man's dignity and supports self-sufficiency. Better Futures Minnesota is a work training model. Through our reuse, retail warehouse, and supervised work crews with specialized in residential and commercial building deconstruction, property maintenance, appliance recycling, and janitorial services, we demonstrate ways to employ hire-to-employ men on a pathway to independence. Hire our work crews at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. Homelessness. It's a problem in Carver County and every county in the United States. We need every kind of affordable housing, but especially for single young people who are trying to launch themselves. Shepherd of the Hill Church of Chaska is hosting a Tuesday dialogue, June 11th, about Launch Ministry, a successful program that is making affordable housing happen for the young people who are experiencing homelessness in Chaska. The speakers are Corey Magstead, Executive Director, and Amanda Flowers-Peterson, Program Director. The City of Chaska has approved their plans for a 16-unit building of supportive housing. Come hear them talk about what that means and get answers to your questions. I'll be your host, Reverend Dean J. Seal. Again, that's Tuesday, June 11th at 7 p.m. Shepherd of the Hill Church of Chaska is at 145 Angler Road and Highway 41 with the Big Red Chair. Free coffee. Find us on Facebook or chaskachurch.org. Be there. Aloha. Crooner's Lounge and Supper Club is delighted to offer its spacious facilities for your private function. From weddings, retirement parties, business dinners, or any special occasion, Crooner's combines a dedicated, full-service special events team, an award-winning chef, and a beautiful lakeside ambiance to make your event a resounding success. Visit croonersloungemn.com to learn more about their private dining options, or call 763-571-9020 to get a quote for your next event today. Pride Weekend is almost here, and there is something for everyone. From the Friday Night Beer Dabbler on the 21st, featuring 50 local brewers, to Pride in Concert on Saturday, June 22nd in Loring Park, with the headliner TLC. And you can't forget about the Rainbow Run, leading into the Ashley Rooks Pride Parade on Sunday, June 23rd. This is a festival and celebration you do not want to miss. Get your tickets now. VIP is still available with free food and drinks. Go to tcpride.org. That's tcpride.org. We'll see you there. Hi, it's Tom Hartman. You know, Continental Diamond is special for a lot of reasons. The owners are Jimmy and Helene Pessis, a husband and wife team who had a dream to open their own store more than 30 years ago. They built a business that is the gold standard. The readers of Minnesota Bride Magazine have named Continental Diamond the best jeweler for the last seven years. Why? Amazing, friendly, no-pressure customer service, a selection of fine diamonds and designed jewelry unlike anywhere else, and the fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies are pretty great, too. Continental Diamond in St. Louis Park and at ContinentalDiamond.com. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 radio. Um, so Scott, um, Scott Warren, yes, um, idealist. And uh, perhaps, uh, as I said in the last segment, by the time you hear my, you hear this show, we will know what the federal government uh, did to him. Um, but uh, hopefully, uh, it turns out the right way. And so he is one idealist fighting a battle. Um, and I am really pleased for this segment, uh, the next two segments, with the big interview. I have another idealist fighting a different kind of battle. So um, my guest today is Elizabeth Brenner. Uh, she is the co-founder of Protect Students Abroad. Uh, she did that with a woman named Roz Thackerdine. Um, 
and both of them founded Protect Students Abroad after the deaths of their respective sons while they were studying abroad. Uh, Protect Students Abroad is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to the development of a transparent and comprehensive nationwide education abroad safety database. And some of you may be familiar with Elizabeth's name because in 2014 she testified before the Minnesota Senate, um, which then led to the passage of the nation's very first statewide study abroad transparency bill. Um, and so she's gone on to uh, try to testify, uh, w- work with Congress to get a national uh, law in place. Um, and she has been speaking around the country about the need to be more aware of uh, the, to some degree, horrific death and injury rate of students studying abroad. So very long introduction. Elizabeth Brenner, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. How are you? Thank you, Ellie. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the radio show today well, and I'm, talk about this topic. And I'm thrilled to have you on the show. And listeners, you need to know, um, so full disclosure, Elizabeth is a very dear friend of mine. We have been friends for a very for a number of years, and uh, so, um, and uh, both of us are writers. So, Elizabeth, uh, let's first of all, you you are an idealist. I knew you before um, Protect Students Abroad was founded, and you struck me as an idealist then. And we can get to into that in a second. But can you talk to us about what what was it? What was the impetus for this organization? And then, of course, please speak about the organization. Okay. Um, I moved to Minnesota uh, at the end of a long and difficult uh, marriage with my youngest son, Thomas. And um, he was, in some ways, everybody's favorite. He was a, a quiet young man. He listened. He smiled. I mean, he believed in hugging as a solution for everything. And we had a few really terrific years in uh, Minnesota, and um, he finished high school, he went to college, and about uh, midway through college, he decided to do study abroad. And like a lot of families who send their students on study abroad, uh, we thought we knew everything that we needed to know. And uh, on September 11th, one or September 22nd in the year 2011, uh, one month into his program, he uh, had a what they what the program called an unsurvivable fall. Um, there's no way as a parent to prepare for getting a phone call like that. And yet, as time went on, I began to meet other parents who had gotten the very same phone call. Uh, my background is as a, a nurse practitioner, so I'm, I'm professionally pretty steeped in science. And science, of course, when it's applied to healthcare, is based largely on data. So my question to almost everyone I met was, how many study abroad student deaths have there been? And the answer was always the same. Nobody knows, and nobody knows because nobody's keeping track of this. Um, In 2013, I met in person a woman named Ross Zacherdine. Her son, Ravi, had passed away seven months after Tom. And uh, she showed up at my house with a binder. It was a very thick binder full of uh, deceased students that she'd been collecting using the Internet. And uh, on every page, there would be a really grim headline, sort of set up like newspaper. So it would be a grim headline and then a photo and then a, a news story and some links. And so there was a page for Robbie and a page for Thomas and a page for uh, a lot of other students. And I, you know, I turned and through this thing and it was just uh, fairly quickly clear to both of us that if we kept our ask very, very narrow that that would be a way forward for both of us. She was terrific at, as I will sometimes say, kicking open doors. <laughs> and I was uh, pretty good at, you know, sitting sort of back, digesting the information and putting it in some sort of 
narrative that might make sense to other, you know, other people. And, and that's the way that we, uh, put together Protect Students Abroad. It was, uh, formally, um, we were formally working together by 2015 and we became a 501c3 in 2017. Okay. So, so Protect Students Abroad, it, mm-hmm. the two of you are the nonprofit. Do I have that right? We are the non, we are okay. the nonprofit. We have a small board and, um, as of this year, we actually have a, a small data project that we're want, running with uh, Vassar. So we have, you know, support in a number of different okay. places. So before we forget, all right, if people uh-huh. want to find out about Protect Students Abroad, because I guarantee you right now there are people listening to your voice who have students that are overseas. Guarantee it. So if they want to find out more about Protect Students Abroad, give us the website and yeah. um, and how they can get more information and maybe if they even want to donate. It's uh, www.protectstudentsabroad.org. Okay. Uh, lots of information that uh, students and families won't find elsewhere. Okay. That's great. So, so Elizabeth... Um, you know, uh, I I had met Thomas. He was a wonderful, wonderful young man, and I know that uh, the the tragedy just um, you know shook you. And and I I saw some of that firsthand. Um, when we're going to have to take a break, unfortunately, but when we come back, Elizabeth, I want you to talk about you know how you how you transform grief into activism. Because it is one of the themes that we're finding on this show as I highlight various idealists that, that they're working through grief and it causes them to decide that they're going to in some way change tra- trajectory. Okay? Okay. All right. So we'll be back in a minute. I've been speaking with Elizabeth Brenner, the co-founder of Protect Students Abroad about an organization, a nonprofit about how uh, – gathering data about how to protect our students – who go abroad, um, protect them from violence and protect them from injury. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. I'd love hearing from my listeners, so please email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. Tell me what you think about the show, and um, I always just love hearing from you. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years. Celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Crazy about pets? We are too. The Pet Connection Show is a great venue for fun, informative, and creative conversations about pets. Join myself, Kathy Menard, and Dr. Nicole Parole, along with guests who are leaders in the dynamic and growing pet industry, as we discuss healthcare, relationships, behaviors, and even political issues as they relate to our pets. So come, sit, stay for the Pet Connection Show, Sundays 11 a.m. to noon on AM 950 Radio, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at eatlocalminnesota.com, from classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. Cafe Latte offers made-from-scratch soups, salads, sandwiches, and mouth-watering desserts. Stop in the wine bar and enjoy a unique pizza loaded with fresh vegetables and perfectly roasted meats. Over 30 wines by the glass, Cafe Latte highlights Washington State wines and is the perfect destination for date night or an evening with friends. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. Victor's 1959 Cafe has been serving South Minneapolis traditional Cuban food for over 15 years. Victor's is open for breakfast and lunch daily and now accepts dinner reservations too. Stop in and try the Pollo Tropicale or the Sandwich Cubano, which was featured on Food Network. More at eatlocalminnesota.com. 
Native Ritz Radio is proud to announce we've added an extra hour. Yeah, Chuske, one hour goes by too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. I'll have extra time to share important information about our sacred animals. And report national and native news from all over the country and Canada. This new hour is sponsored by Robbins Kaplan LLP, dedicated to redefining excellence for high-stakes litigation representation in Indian country. We are awake. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. So listeners, uh, before we broke, um, and as we continue now, we've been speaking with Elizabeth Brenner, who is the co-founder of Protect Students Abroad, a nonprofit aimed at helping to protect our uh, college and, I assume, high school students who are studying abroad um, because this uh, – we have many students who are injured or killed um, overseas and no accountability for it. So, Elizabeth, before we took our break, you know, we had talked about your son, Thomas, and I think the backstory, of course, is that he went to India, right? He was in India yes. at the time and mm-hmm. and his unfortunate accident was that he had a heavy pack – um, and there were some other issues about how that pack was overweighted and he was tired and unfortunately on a mountain path um, along the – is it Ganges River? And, yeah. And um, he slipped and unfortunately fell. Yeah. So – so we before we took our break, we you know we talked about the tragedy and the emotional grief, and I I witnessed that firsthand with you. But you, you transform that into activism. Would you talk about that? How did that come about? Because it's not a it, given. Yeah, no, it isn't, and it certainly did not happen overnight. Um, I like a lot of people who experience profound. Uh, loss. Uh, it, you know, it comes with a good degree of trauma. I, uh, it took a long time for me to pick myself up, but gradually, uh, I, I couldn't have explained it in the beginning, but it felt like the universe was opening up to me. Uh, that, that there were these moments of grace that seemed almost inexplicable. Uh, for example, a lot of families that I meet at this point know far less than I do about what happened to Thomas. Uh, stu- the students contacted me almost immediately. Um, and then a young man who was a student journalist from the University of Iowa went actually to the location and eventually he contacted me. Um, of course, you know, meeting Ross Thackerdine was one of these moments of grace. Um, and I had great support from my family also. My um, mother is a, what I would call a worker bee. Uh, she taught us a great reverence for uh, reading and hard work. And, and my sister and her husband had been very supportive of Thomas and me when we moved to Minnesota. So there was a lot of great good fortune there, and they both came with a lot of science background, uh, which helped Roz and me uh, in terms of putting together Protect Students Abroad. So those things felt incredibly uh, lucky. Uh, gradually, we started realizing that what we were going to be doing is um, sort of pushing out the sidewalls of of the conversation and turning ourselves into stakeholders in a landscape that we never imagined being uh, stakeholders in. And I think what we didn't track is how threatening it would be for the people who are really accustomed to um, controlling the conversation about things like higher education. 
And so other moments of grace were um, meeting families in other student safety communities that had actually been going through that before us. For example, folks who were well-versed in the hazing community, folks who Uh. were well-versed in the campus gun violence community. I mean, some of these people had also picked themselves up from tremendous yep. loss. I'm thinking and, right, I'm thinking right now of the Sandy Hook uh, parents, the Parkland. Actually, yeah. we did a I did a piece on the Parkland students uh, last week in fact. And um, and of course the Virginia Tech uh, parents, but go on. Yep, yeah. go on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we we felt really uh, uh, blessed to be able to learn from some of these communities. And I, I think one of the things that happens is that when you have experienced such profound trauma in the beginning, it's hard to understand what it is that's going on. There were times, for example, where I had, I would recognize that I had enormous amounts of memory that had been wiped out and I would think there was something wrong with me. Um, but when you hear other people's stories who have walked that path longer and still managed to reform their lives, you understand, okay, this is not abnormal. This is just the path that I'm on now. Um, I, I hold uh, the memory of Thomas very dear in doing mm-hmm. this work, yeah. but gradually I also feel like I carry the students who uh, we have read and learned about, and we carry them all when we go to Washington and do our work. Can I can I interrupt you, Elizabeth? Mm-hmm. So, part of what an idealist does is they give voice to those who lack voices. Time and again on this show, um, I'm highlighting people who do just that, okay? Because in our world, in our world, there are so many people marginalized and there are so many people that are forgotten. And what a true idealist does is they remember that it's not about them. They remember that the work is about others. So go on, go on. I mean, and so you've, you've, so could you bring us to, um, uh, can you talk briefly about your your first your training ground was the Minnesota State Legislature, right? Yes. So yes. talk about that, would you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the time, um, I I was living in the uh, suburban Minneapolis area, and my uh, senator was Terry Bonoff, my state senator, and my uh, representative, who actually happened to be a neighbor, was Yvonne Seltzer. And uh, I, I think that in conversation with them, they both felt that this was a rightly a federal issue, and yet they were willing to, as they put it, get the ball rolling. And uh, and they did, and they did. Uh, in fact, the Minnesota bill, first ever in the nation, passed fairly quickly. I have heard very reliably over and over again that it took the study abroad industry by surprise how quickly it um, passed. But it did um, put the industry itself sort of on their heels, and um, we we're starting to track what the resistance might be to uh, transparent safety data. Um, so, so and, you're so you and Roz are novices. Um, absolutely. You know, in the world about idealist lobbying to to make law, okay. Yes. And then what you did is you scored big here in Minnesota, and then you woke up the tiger. Do I have that right? Oh, that's uh, thank you. Very very well said. Yes, um, the Minnesota law has uh, issues. It certainly wasn't a perfect law. Uh, the legislative language we would have uh, preferred to have it go differently, but we absolutely woke up the tiger. And uh, but we learned, and so. Uh, there was a subsequent law in Virginia that was actually even weaker than the version in Minnesota. And then we began uh, looking at both a law in the state of New York. Um, there's been some exploration in other states. Uh, I believe that there's a draft bill in Massachusetts at this point. 
Um, big big state with a lot of colleges, yeah. Go a on. lot of colleges. And then, of course, we have a, a couple of uh, federal bills. Uh, one of them, uh, so Sean Patrick Maloney, Raza's congressman in um, New York, has introduced a bill four times uh, that's just, it's basically a transparency bill asking for transparent safety data from higher ed. And I should make clear uh, to you and all the listeners that I can't say that uh, there are a lot of deaths during study abroad. What I can say is that we don't really know much about incidents. There are the incidents that Roz and I pick up from the Internet and by word of mouth, but nobody's keeping track of this, right. so I can't say anything about the numbers. But that's why we think, that's precisely why we think a transparency bill is important. Absolutely. Well, and it's not only about deaths. I mean, it's about students being injured. It's about students being the subject of exactly. violence. Subject yeah. of violence. I mean, these yeah. these are... These are people that humans love, and we're you know we want them to go abroad. I mean, I'm a huge proponent of of becoming familiar with people who are other. It's a way that we make our world a better place. But but parents and students should be able to make educated decisions about the risks involved with doing that. Yes, and and the other thing is that once you understand how to work with data. Uh, programs themselves can use uh, what, what in the, in, you know, in, in healthcare and epidemiology is called evidence-based information to make programming decisions based on really complicated uh, relationships between risk factors. So we think there's utility for programs too and a reason why they should be out there advocating for this. Um, we haven't gotten to that point yet for the most part with programs. And so for that reason, there's a second bill that's been introduced at the federal level and it asks for um, information information that is obtained by Department of State in the aftermath of U.S. citizen deaths abroad to be uh, essentially moved to the Center for Disease Control so that that information can be okay. analyzed to better understand traveler safety incidents abroad. And this is a, a this is a really interesting uh, and exciting turn for us that has happened in just the past couple of weeks. We, for the first time, have support at the Senate level and have had bill introductions at the Senate level, and they are bipartisan. So, for the first bill, the student transparency bill. Uh, Senator Rob Portman, he's a Republican from Ohio, and Senator Tina Smith, who you know is a Democratic right. senator from Minnesota, are sponsoring that bill. And at, uh, and the second bill, the one that transfers information from Department of State to CDC, that is also Senator Rob Portman from Ohio, and um, also Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts. So we're really excited about that. Um, this is definitely moving the conversation to a new level. Well, and so listeners, I want you to I, – I, listeners, I, I'm sure you're – like me, you're picking up this word about bills, plural bills across various states in the country. Now in the federal level, multiple times bills being introduced into Congress um, around protecting students abroad – and, and, and listeners, I want you to I want you to remember we're talking about two women, <laughs> an organization that they started from scratch, having this kind of impact. I mean, Elizabeth, um, you know, I am as your friend, I am in awe of you. Okay, and as a fellow idealist, I just want to tell you, I'm so proud of you um, for yeah. what you're doing. We've got only about another minute. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we have to go? Life, uh, I th well, I think about your listeners who I, I believe are also idealists. Yep. Uh, and yep. I just want to say uh, life is hard for all of us, whatever the pain that we carry. It's just, it's hard. It's important to really... Um, look for those moments of grace, the moments when the universe opens up and says, he, here, here is, here is goodness, here is beauty, here is kindness, whatever it is, uh, it helps 
uh, fill the spirit with hope. And we all need some hope. You know, Elizabeth, I love the phrase moments of grace, and I am going to actually start using that, and I'll attribute it to you. But I just, you know, you are a dear friend to me, and I am so sorry about your loss, but please know, okay, that you are doing good. You and Roz are both doing good. You are both making a difference, and I know you're not even done yet. You're still working it. And so, listeners, if you want to find out more about Protect Students Abroad, go to www.protectstudentsabroad.org. Is that right, Elizabeth? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, Elizabeth Brenner, I have so um, enjoyed having you on LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you for being on my show. Thank you, Ellie. I look forward to seeing you soon. Okay. And just keep keep it up, okay? All right? Okay. All right, listeners, we've been speaking with Elizabeth Brenner from Protect Students Abroad, um, idealist, working really hard to make a difference in the world. When we come back from our break, we'll do the C Block, talk a little bit about what it means to be LGBTQ in America right now. Thank you. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Hi, friends. I've been talking to you about Minnesota's first green cemetery, Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. It's an entirely new way of looking at our last earthly step. Burials are designed to have as little impact on the environment as possible. For many of us, a continuation of the commitment we made during our lifetimes. Let me suggest you go to the website, mngreengraves.com. Explore what it is. Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. It's a lovely place, a peaceful place. Minnesota's first green cemetery. On June 16th, say thanks, Dad, with the Park Tavern. From 11 until 2, it's the Father's Day Barbecue Buffet. St. Louis-style ribs, barbecue chicken, grilled burgers with all the fixings, corn, watermelon, all the sides, and dessert, too. Dad gets a free pint of beer and a T-shirt, and there's an hour free bowling with your reservation. $20.95 for adults, $14.95 for seniors, $10.95 for kids, and 5 and under are free. On Louisiana Avenue, north of Highway 7 in St. Louis Park, on June 16th, say I love you, Dad, with the Father's Day Barbecue Buffet at the Park Tavern. Hi, Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. My first Toyota and the vehicle which made me fall in love with Toyotas was the RAV4. Now, Toyota is just teasing me as they have an all-new, fully redesigned RAV4. It's gorgeous. A distinct exterior that pops and a refined interior which has everything you want and room to move. And the big news is the RAV4 now comes in a hybrid version. Remember, every new Toyota comes with Toyota Care. Two years of free maintenance. Test drive the new RAV4 today at Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. At Better Futures Minnesota, our purpose is to fuel and guide our men's desire to turn their lives around and walk a new path toward better health and success. We are intent on changing the costly systems and practices that produce poor results and perpetuate the chaos and cycles of dependency experienced by men who have faced incarceration. We are building a movement that supports personal transformation and a healthy, vibrant community of men. Visit us at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn how you can support our movement. And I am back on LE 2.0 Radio. Um, that music is uh, White Flag by uh, Joseph that we just heard. And I'll tell you, I think that that music is incredibly symbolic 
of the work that Elizabeth Brenner and her uh, colleague are doing with Protect Students Abroad about just going and marching. <laughs> I I don't know about you, but, um, you know, yes, Elizabeth's a friend of mine, but my goodness, you go, girl. You go and keep it up. All right, we're in the C block right now, so I want to talk about a little bit about my work and really not a whole lot about work, um, although I'll share. So this is June, okay? It is Pride Month. Um, there will be, at the end of the month, this huge Pride Parade in downtown Minneapolis. Um, Loring Park will be taken over by queer people. By the way, that word is an okay word for me. Hopefully it's okay for you. Um, it is a good word because queer em- embraces a whole panoply of humans, of varieties of gender and sexual identities and orientations. Anyway, Loring Park will be taken over by a bunch of uh, queer people. And this is a very special Pride Month because – or Pride Year, Pride Month because it is the first um, of uh, the Stonewall Riots in New York City, Greenwich Village, Stonewall's – Greenwich Village, New York City. Um, and uh, Stonewall happened, uh, began, it was a series of riots over several nights, but it all began on June 28, 1969. And for the most part, that is credited as the beginning of the modern LGBTQ movement. It, you can draw a direct line from Stonewall all the way to uh, marriage equality. Absolutely. You can. So what's it like to be queer in America in, in uh, the summer of 2019, in June of 2019? Well, you heard me uh, speak in the first block about the Religious Freedom and Restoration Act, um, which goes back to 1993, but now is being really utilized in a variety of ways by um, religious nationalists as a way to marginalize and to a certain degree, well, to another degree, erase uh, components, members, parts of the LGBTQ community. And we are coming up upon all kinds of laws and rules and all kinds of ways uh, that the government um, – again, I'm trying to be a unifier, not a divider. These are just facts I'm just telling you. But all kinds of ways um, that people with power are um, – trying to enforce rules and laws that are marginalizing my community. For example, you know, uh, there is uh, now a push uh, that if you have adopt a child um, for, who is foreign-born, if you're LGBT, excuse me, LGBTQ and you adopt a child who is born in another country, uh, the State Department um, is now not taking the position that they're not going to issue citizen documents for that child, the little baby. They're not going to make that child a citizen of the U.S., even though both parents would be U.S. citizens. It's just the problem is both parents would be gay or lesbian. You know, and then there's a movement in several states right now to ban LGBTQ couples from um, being foster parents. And of course, um, I'm part of the transgender community. That's why my name is Ellie, but I sound like a man on the radio. Um there, right now, it's not just about trying to restrict us. It's actually trying to erase transgender people. And the latest and greatest, of course, is that um, um, they're going to remove um, the non-discrimination provisions in the Affordable Care Act that protected transgender humans and, and mandated that we had access to medical care. Um, and so I am a grave um, concern that um, I will um, not have access to even health insurance come the future. So, um, and I, you know, I can afford to pay for it, but that I might not have the right to it. And, and God forbid, I will be on Medicare in a couple of years. And God forbid, if what if the rule becomes under Medicare that transgender people aren't allowed to get medical health care? So there's a lot of fear in my community right now in this Pride Month. However, let me also tell you, there are a lot of people out there, a lot of people who are allies to this community and in places that you would not have expected. I was in Virginia, Minnesota last week uh, speaking to about 80 um, HR, human resource people. Um, now, Virginia, Minnesota, you you know, uh, very, very far north. Um, a lot of 
a lot of people that all look alike and probably think alike and go to the same kind of church. And so it's always tricky when I go to greater Minnesota about how I will be received. And I'm sure that in that group of people, I was the very first transgender person that many of them met. But you know what? After I got done speaking, I trained on gray area thinking for that group. They loved the training. After I got done my human inclusivity training, after I got done speaking, people came up to me, some of them with tears in their eyes, some of them that demanded hugs from me. And they told me, some of them said, you know what, I have a transgender son or daughter or grandkid. But I had other people just telling me, thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for giving us an example. Thank you for letting people know that it's okay to be you. Thank you for your courage, not that I necessarily think I'm courageous. That was Virginia, Minnesota. And so I'm here to report to you what's going on in our country right now in terms of government trying to marginalize LGBTQ people and about um, uh, religious nationalists trying to discriminate against us. I'm just here to tell you they are a minority. They are not the majority. That the majority of our country cares about LGBTQ people. And you know why? Because many of them have LGBTQ people in their family. Remember that. I'm here. I'm the good canary in the coal mine. I'm telling you it's not that people are way better than what you think. Okay. On that note, I need to thank our sponsors, Brending Electrolysis. Tell Bev um, that I sent you because she does incredibly great work. And then we have this new sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota. It's a nonprofit that gives people second chances in life. And soon um, I'll have Better Futures Minnesota on the, on the, on the show. Um, I also need to thank my producer, Brett Johnson, because, of course, you always hear me say this. Brett, you rock. And he does rock. I'm not just saying that. And to you, my listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in every every week. Remember, you this goes to podcast. Remember, you can get it on Apple iTunes and all kinds of other places where you get podcasts. Just thank you for your loyalty. Thank you for emailing me. Thank you for supporting my work. I hear from you across America every time I go and speak. Ellie, I've been listening to your podcast. It so warms my heart. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>